this morning. But beautiful. Lovely. Well done, Matt. Very good. Well, it's lovely to be here. I was here about a year ago, actually, uh, just for one Sunday. And uh, that was kind of, we were still in that post-COVID bit. Do you remember that? Trying to get back to normal life. But it feels like that's all well and gone now. I'm going to pray and then we'll talk. Father, we just want to thank you for your love for us. We want to thank you for your care for us. I want to thank you that you know each one of us personally, by name, everything about us. Thank you that our days are in your hands. And Lord, uh, I just pray that this morning you would open up our hearts, open up our ears, that we might hear what you want to say to us this morning. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and speak to us. Again, whatever it is that you have on your heart to speak to us. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, just a little bit about myself. Thank you, whoever's doing the tech stuff. There might be some slides that come up behind. Uh, so that would be uh, great. Yeah, as Matt said, my name's Dale Barlow. Uh, I've been married to the long-suffering uh, Jane uh, for 30 years. My wife, she would have been here today, but had an operation fairly recently and can't do too much traveling. I've got three daughters, Paige, Charlie, and Jordan. They might come up at some point on a thing behind me. Uh, and a son-in-law called Ed. And after school, uh, I joined the police force. I, I, I'd like to say that I prayed long and hard about joining the police. Oh, there they are. Look, lovely. Wife, there you see. Lovely. And then uh, eldest daughter next to her, youngest daughter, middle bit, middle daughter on the right, Charlie, dog in the middle, uh, and me over there. So there you go. That's the Barlow uh, family. Yeah, I left school, and I'd like to say that I prayed long and hard about what I should do, but I didn't. I was reading the Sun newspaper one day, didn't know what to do with my life, looked at the front page and saw that Sussex police had abandoned the height limit for police officers. And because I was five foot six and a little bit, uh, I thought, I could do that. God, could I do that? Okay, so I went for it, and I became a police officer. And that was the next 12 years of my life. Uh, and then God spoke, and I said, leave the police force. Uh, come work for the church. And I started to work for King's Church in Oxted. And uh, within a year, the guy who was leading uh, left to go to America to serve God there. And I found myself leading this local church, really having, knowing very little. And I did that for the next 17 years, uh, by the grace of God. Uh, got some things right, got lots of things wrong. Uh, there we go. And then about, uh, about six months ago, handed over the leadership of the local church to a guy called Simon Quincy. I'm still an elder there, and Quincy's leading the church and doing a great job. And about nine years ago, when Dave Holden was wondering about starting New Ground, as Matt said, our, our part of New Frontiers, but our part of it's called New Ground, I felt God say to me, offer Dave Holden that you'll do anything that he wants you to do if he starts the sphere. So I offered him that, and Dave said to me, great, can you, uh, can you run it behind the scenes for me, as it were? You know, the, the, the trust stuff and the finance and events and all that. Can you do that? And so I said, yeah, okay. And so that's what I've done as well for the last eight, nine years. Um, I've been the only ever present core team member with Dave. We've had four core teams at Newground. And uh, one time it was just me and Dave. That was a lonely old time, I can tell you. Uh, but that's, so that's where we've been. And then uh, the start of this year, uh, as I say, I stopped working for the church. I now work full time for Newground. And as Matt said, it's really my pleasure and privilege to oversee a lot of new ground stuff behind the scenes. And a little bit more, I get to go out and visit 
churches, eldership teams, lead elders, and, uh, and it's a real joy and privilege. And when I knew that on the horizon, I would be able to travel a little bit and go to churches on a Sunday morning, because for 17 years, I was always in Oxford because I was leading the church. But I knew part of this new role would mean traveling around. I thought, God, if I go to the churches, they'll ask me to preach. And, uh, and, and what shall I preach on? It didn't feel right that I, I could just go and preach my favorite sermon. Uh, that didn't seem right. Neither am I good enough preacher to fit in with whatever the sermon series is going on in all those different churches. So I prayed, Lord, tell me, what should I preach on? And God gave me two messages. So if this one's any good, there is a follow-up one, uh, which I can do. So God gave me two messages. He told me to either preach on family or preach on the Spirit. And uh, so this morning, I'm going to preach on the family. And and really, I'm not going to take a chunk of Scripture and kind of explain it, which is how I would normally preach. But I actually felt God say to me, draw pretty heavily from your own story. Tell people your story and, uh, and draw a little bit from that. So I hope that's okay. If it's not, I haven't got much otherwise. I've got a spirit one, but that's uh, really it. So this morning, I really want to tell you something of my story, but I want to do it under three headings. Number one, I want to talk about God's family. Number two, I want to talk about church family. Number three, I want to talk about the wider family. And uh, at the end of my talk, I'd love us, when we have a bit more worship as well, just to invite the Holy Spirit to come speak to us, uh, move among us. I, I, I always know that God wants to do things, say things, minister to people in specific ways. So I'm really keen to leave time for that as well. But let me just talk about God's family. I just want to start with sharing something of my own story with you, because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, in fact, growing up, I didn't know anyone who was a Christian. I didn't know anyone who went to church. The only time that I went to church before the age of 10 was when I was a Boy Scout, and they asked me to go and carry the flag at the, boy, at the, at the a special service they were having, like a uniform service. And so I got told to go into this church and to carry the flag. And I walked in, I stood at the back, I stood there with my flag, and I listened to what was going on, and none of it made any sense to me whatsoever. It was the most boring and meaningless thing that I had ever done. I didn't know what the guy at the front was talking about. I didn't understand any of the words that they were singing. That was my one and only experience of church. And yet, at a, when I started going to secondary school... Um, my parents sent me on a two-week uh, camp in the summer up in Norfolk, and they did it because they were both working, and it was basically a cheap holiday and cheap childcare. And some of the teachers from the school ran this summer uh, kind of holiday camp, and I'd, my brother had gone. I got an older brother, and he'd gone the year previously, and when we'd gone to pick him up from the train station, he'd come back with armfuls of chocolate. And he'd won these chocolate as prizes through the camp. And I decided, if I get the chance to go to that camp, I'm going to go because I'm going to win that chocolate. And so when I got to year seven and I could go, I said to my mum and dad, can I go on these camps? And I didn't know, but they'd been running for decades. And so each summer, I went back to these Christian camps. And in the morning, we'd have this short talk about Jesus. And then we'd do lots of fun activities through the day. And then in the evening, we'd go down to this old rickety tent. And there's someone with an old piano and bashing out a few hymns about Jesus. And someone else would talk about Jesus. And I was genuinely impressed by how these Christians were. 
the fact they were giving up their holiday time, many of them, to run this camp for kids like me. And, and then when they spoke about God and they spoke about Jesus, which I'd never heard before, and they talked about the cross and they talked about the fall and forgiveness and salvation, I kind of sat there as a 12-year-old boy and just thought, you know what? This makes sense to me. And after a few years, maybe I was about 14, I was at one of these camps, and the thing that was holding me back from becoming a Christian, which is what they kept mentioning I should do, was the fear that God didn't have a sense of humor. That was my particular thing. I don't know why it was my impression. I don't know why it was a big deal. Maybe that morning with the flag had done something to me. Most of the leaders at the camp had good senses of humours, but I was a 14-year-old boy. I, that was my hang-up. And one day, we were sat there over lunch uh, in the kind of tent, and we had like wooden trestle tables, and I was telling God, you know, in my head, that this was my hang-up with him, that he didn't really have a good sense of humour, and it was a problem to me. I was, I was actually, that's how I would just talk to God. This God, this is my issue. And while we're sitting there, I suddenly noticed that opposite me, a mate of mine was sat there, and there was a beaker of water right in front of his lap. And I thought to myself, if I bash the table, the table will move and the beaker will fall onto his lap, and he'll get wet. And so that's exactly what I did. I bashed the table, and I watched as the table jolted and the glass fell, and it fell straight onto his lap. And then I heard... I heard a voice say to me, watch this. And I looked down at the table in horror as I noticed that there was a full jug of water in the middle of the table. And as the table started to come back towards me, the jug started to move across the table. And I watched it, unable to stop it, and it got to the edge and fell straight onto my lap. It soaked me. And I got up. And I started to walk to the toilet. I don't know why I walked to the toilet, but I did. I started to walk to the toilet, and I, I could hear God laughing. And he wasn't laughing like a horrible, malicious laugh. No, he was laughing like the sound that a 14-year-old boy playing a prank on his friend that backfired, could understand, and identified with. And in that moment, I realized God's got a sense of humor, and God can do some stuff. And so 30 minutes later, I went and grabbed a leader, and I said to him, I want to become a Christian. We went into the uh, freezer tent, knelt down on the mud, and there and then, I gave my life to Jesus. That's how it happened to me. I didn't understand everything, but I understand enough of the cross, of who Jesus was, and I gave my life to him. And the key thing that happened for me in that moment was this deep and instant conviction that God is now my father, that now I'm his son, and nothing was going to change that. That was why Jesus suffered on the cross, to make me an adopted son of God. And I thought at the time that every Christian had a similar deep-rooted conviction when they were saved, but after nearly 20 years of pastoral ministry, I know that's not the case, and I've met lots of Christians who struggle to relate to God as Father. And if that's you, my heart does genuinely go out to you. But I just want you to know, for me, that was the defining thing that happened in that moment. So much so that at the age of 14, I went home and said to my dad, who had no understanding of Christianity, Dad, you'll always be my dad, but God is now my dad as well. 
And I wasn't trying to be funny or upset him or put his nose out of joint. It's just that's how I best understood becoming a Christian. God is now my dad. I am now part of his family as a son. And I still think, if you're a Christian here this morning, that is the most profound, most amazing way of understanding what's happened. We have now become children of God. You and I are sons and daughters. God is now our Father. Jesus is Lord and Savior and brother. Jesus suffered and died on the cross so our sins could be forgiven. But the reason why he wanted our sins forgiven was so that we might be adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. Let me read for you some Bible verses that always blow my mind. John 1, 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The cross was a means to an end. The means was for Jesus to lay down his life as a substitute, to pay the price that we couldn't. The end was that having been forgiven of our sin, that caused the separation between us and God. Once that barrier was removed, we could now become his children. It's staggering. still blows my mind today as much as that first day I got saved. And you know, some people, some Christians, have a very dramatic testimony, the story of how they became Christians You know, maybe they were violent, drug-dealing, gun-toting, alcoholic, God-hating people who suddenly get saved on the floor of the prison. You've read the books, haven't you? You know, those kind of stories. And I love those kind of amazing stories. But my testimony, my story is nothing like that. And I know lots of Christians whose stories are seemingly not very dramatic. And I've heard a few of them even wish that their stories were more dramatic They even kind of look down or think less of their own salvation story because it's not very dramatic. But let me tell you, wherever your story is on the so-called dramatic scale, it is amazing. It is a miracle. It's the thing that defines now who you and I are. God does not compare. God does not judge between one and another because the key thing is not how we got saved or what happened, or what we were like before we got saved. What matters is that now we are saved. If you're a Christian here this morning, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, no matter how that happened, at that moment, everything changed for you and for me. Whether we fully understood it or not, at that moment, we just got added in to God's family. We just became God's sons and daughters. Our place in God's big story of history just got changed forever. Recently, I've been stirred about this, remembering the importance that I am not the main character in the story of life. Do you know, I'm not even the main character in the story of my life. God is the main character in the story of life 
and in the story of my life. Because the truth is, I'm actually a character. I'm a part of his story. History, as we call it. It wasn't that the world began when I was born, like everything was just waiting, like a stage for me to step onto. It's not at some point in my life, having walked onto this stage that was waiting for me, I invited Jesus in and now, guess what? He gets to be part of my story. That's sometimes how I can think about my life. God's story is the big story. His story is history. Humanity's part in God's story didn't even begin until he created us. That's why in Genesis 1 in the Bible, it doesn't start with us. It starts with God. In the beginning, God. And it starts actually, our part in it starts with him creating the heavens, the earth, and us. God's story began before he made us. The Bible, if you like, starts at the point when God made us. But it wasn't when his story started. God's story started in eternity past. We are part of God's story, not the other way around. The big story of God was already happening. It was already unfolding before he made us. But then he made us and we became, as men and women, part of his story. Therefore, long before I, Dale Barlow, was, God's big story was already unfolding. The part when he made us, including the part when humans sinned. The part when God called a people to be his own. The part where Jesus paid the price on the, sin, uh, on the cross so we could be forgiven and reconciled. And then about 2,000 later, I, Dale Barlow, was born. But it wasn't the story, you know, started when I was born. But I was born into God's big story that was already unfolding. And I think it's so important and helpful to understand that. So many people, as I look around, are trying to control their lives, be a success of life as compared to others, trying to leave their mark on life and make a difference because they all view their life, kind of start of life when they were born to death, as the be-all and end-all without realizing our lives only make sense when we understand that it's part of God's big story. If you arrive at a film in the cinema halfway through, you're an hour late, there's a few things you need to know. You need to know what's happened so far in the story in order to understand the rest of the story. And secondly, you need to accept that what's happened in the first half of the story has happened. You can't change it just because you weren't there for it. And our lives are a bit like that. Our stories only make sense if we understand that they are part of God's bigger story. Because the truth is, before we're saved, before we become Christians, we are still part of God's big story. It's just the part that we have is not good. The part we have is as enemies, is as those who are separated from, those who are not part of his family. Just think, if you're a Christian here this morning, there was a day when you and I woke up and we were not part of God's family. We were in his story, but we were not part of his family. We were not his children. We were outside of that. He was trying to reach us, but we were still outside. The Bible says that his righteous anger was on us. We're separated from him 
because of our sin. But at some point in that day, we bowed the knee to Jesus. We asked for his forgiveness. We put our faith in him, believing that his suffering on the cross was enough. And we were forgiven. And when we went to bed that night, we were forgiven. We were chosen. We'd been adopted. We were sons and daughters of God. We were part of his family. Our names were written in his book of life. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. We went to bed that night with a place in his family, a place in his heart, a place in his heaven kept for us forever. And on that day, when you bowed the knee to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came, lived within you, said, I'm going to be with you now until the day you stop breathing. And when you stop breathing, you'll come and be with me and the Father and the Son in heaven. So please don't tell me that your salvation story is not dramatic enough. Because whatever happens at the moment anyone gives their life to Jesus, that is the most amazing, incredible, awesome, life-changing, destiny-shaping moment. Why? Because you just got added into God's family. And you can't become a child of God without it changing everything. But it is easy to forget that. It's easy, I think, to become over familiar with it. It's easy in the concerns and the press of life to fail to remember, to appreciate what we have now become. And yet for me, all the wonders, the benefits of salvation are best expressed in this fact. I've become part of God's family. I'm his son. He's my dad. What an amazing dad. I now have. He's perfect. He's fair. He's just. He's loving. He knows everything. He's got my best at heart. He'll tell me how it really is. Wow, what a dad I've got. So my encouragement is never, never, never forget that our salvation is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to us. In that moment, our whole identity got changed. We become children of God, adopted into his family, and actually, everything in life we now view through the lens, through the understanding, through the reality of being his children. But what about you? Just, just think about if you're saved here this morning, you're a Christian, just think back to that moment when you were saved. Remember and rejoice. Every Sunday I try and remember the moment I gave my life to Jesus, I was saved. Just remember for you how God moved, how he spoke. Might not have been through a silly jug of water moving across the table, but I guarantee God moved, God spoke. God did some stuff. God persuaded, convinced you, showed you. Gave you faith to believe. Yeah, the cross makes sense. Jesus makes sense. God's family, such an awesome privilege that we have been adopted into. The second thing I want to just move on to is church family. Because amazing as it is that God has adopted us into his family, he wasn't finished. Because then what he did was, he says, I'm now going to place you with others who I've also adopted. 
and I'm going to place you into a family that we know as a church family. Because a church at root is this gathering together by God of his adopted children, that they may be a community, they may be a family, they may be brothers and sisters doing life together with one Lord, one Father. This family on earth in one time and one place, but actually spans the world, spans the generation. Let me share with you something of my own story again. As I said, I was saved at these summer camps, which was great, but they only happened two weeks a year. So for the first two years I was a Christian, I read my Bible a bit. I spoke to God every day because I had no one else to speak to about him. I didn't know any other Christians. I didn't know anything about church. And the only time I met other Christians or had any fellowship or teaching were these two weeks in the summer. And at the age of 14, 15, 16, that's not great. Uh, But I didn't know any different. But God looked after me. And when I was 16, a guy at one of these camps, I still remember to this day, asked me, which church do you go to, Dale? And I said, I didn't. And he was shocked and he asked me why. And I told him, because no one ever told me I should go to church. Then he looked shocked. It was like this role reversal, he suddenly realised. So he said to me, well, where do you live? I said, well, Croydon, South London, just outside. And he ummed and ahed and he went, well, is Purley near you? I said, well, about 20 minutes down the road. He said, well, I had a mate, used to go to a church called Purley Baptist Church. Why don't you go along there? So I thought, well, okay, I'll go. So when I got home, uh, I went down to Purley, uh, found the church. There was no Google in those days. I just turned up and asked people. I looked around, church was closed, but on the notice board it said, youth group, cellar, 8 o'clock, Thursday night. So I turned up, Thursday, 8 o'clock, main doors were locked. I kind of went around the side, there were some steps going down, I thought might be a cellar under there. I get down to the bottom, I hear people talking. I hadn't realised, but they'd actually changed the time earlier, so the youth meeting had started uh, an hour earlier. They were in mid-flow. I banged on the door, I walked in, and I, the 30 young people sat this side, a couple of youth leaders that side. I bang on the door, walk in, and the youth leader stops as if, what? and he looked at me and said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I've come to join you, youth group. Uh, is that okay? And sat down and kind of everything carried on. They were so surprised about it. And that's how it happened. It felt completely random, completely haphazard. This guy from a camp used to know a mate who went to the church. It was all vague. But you know what? The truth was behind all that supposed haphazard vagueness, my father God was directing things. He was actually moving his hand and moving me carefully to the church family that he wanted me to be a part of. I stayed at that youth group right through my teenage years. For the first time, I got to know Christians who loved me, discipled me, talked to me, prayed for me, opened their houses, took us away at weekends. Through that youth group, I started going to the church week by week. I learned what the Bible said about salvation, about God, about sin, about the Holy Spirit, I made friends in that youth group with Christians my age. I'm still friends with now, 35 years later. We've done teenage life, you know, life, kids, marriage, all together. Through joining that group, I met my wife, Jane, a few years later. She got saved. We've had 30 wonderful years of marriage, three fantastic children. And all that had its roots in God, though seemingly haphazard and nothing organized, guiding me into the right local church family, which I knew nothing about, which he knew he was going to use to teach me, to encourage me, to shape me through my brothers and sisters in that church. 
When I think about the church family, that one and the one I've been part of in Oxford for the last 25 years, what a blessing. What a blessing they've been to my, me and my family. How they've prayed for us, how at different times, different ones have challenged us, encouraged us. They're the people that we've laughed with, that we've cried with, that we've done life with. What an amazing thing that God would place and gather his adopted sons and daughters together and put them in this thing called local church. And I know sometimes people in church can get things wrong and maybe hurt us. That's because they're not perfect, like we're not perfect. And I know sometimes leaders in churches get things wrong. I've got plenty of things wrong in the time I led the church. I also know it's sometimes easy to get a bit fed up at church, a bit tired of it, maybe a bit disappointed in it, maybe a bit cynical of it. Maybe we start to treat it like a bit like a consumer. What do I get out of it? But please, don't do that. Don't think like that. Church family is at heart. God getting his kids together to do life. And the truth is, I shouldn't be part of it. But by the grace of God, I am. And guess what? You shouldn't be part of it. But by the grace of God, you are. Because we are now God's children. We're brothers and sisters. When God saves people like you and me into his family, he doesn't just want that to be a concept that we'll get to experience in heaven. He wants there to be a reality about it now in the lives that we live in the here and now. So he makes church families and he populates them with his kids and he wants them to go on having more kids. That's why church can never be simply a place I go to on a Sunday morning if I've got time, if I'm in the mood. It's a family. It's the family that I'm part of. It's the family of all families. It's the tangible, living breathing, walking, talking, hugging, laughing, crying part of God's family that by his grace he's made me a part of. And Jesus, when you look at the church, wow, he refers to the church as his bride. He could have chosen lots of terms, analogies, to try and get us to understand his love and his passion for the church. He chooses bride. Revelation 21.2 I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Jesus says, she's my beloved, she's my chosen one. She's the one that I'm going to be most intimate with. I love her, I'm going to lay down my life for her. In my eyes, she is beautiful. You and I might look at the church sometimes and think, I'm not sure it's very special. Jesus looks at her and says, she is most special in all the earth. You may look at the church and decide you don't really need to be part of it. You are so wrong. You need others. You need others to help you, to bless you, to pray for you, to teach you, to enable you to become more like Jesus. And guess what? Others need you to do that for them. Why? Because that's the kind of stuff that happens in family and that's the way that God has designed life to be. God has adopted us as children into his family and then he gathers us into this thing called church family. So what about you? Do you know, you are not part of this church family by chance. You're here because God's placed you here. Sometimes the unseen hand of God working as he was with me to get you into this place. He's been directing your steps to place you here in this church family. Let me just think about wider family. 
I won't dwell for a long time, it's ticking away. But just wider family. Because we've seen God saves us, puts us into his church family. But I also believe he places us as, as local churches into families of churches. Because it's not good for a church to be on their own. It's not good for a local church to have no one to help them, pray for them, walk through things with them. No one they can partner with as we seek to see the kingdom advance and churches planted, which is what I think we see in the pages of our New Testament. If churches are on their own, it's easy maybe for the leaders to feel isolated, maybe to feel like the difficulties are overwhelming them a bit. Sometimes maybe it's hard to see the wood from the trees. Sometimes maybe it's hard to lift up their eyes, so consumed with the here and now and the local church to lift their eyes and see God's bigger picture. So I believe God wants local churches to be in a wider family of churches, just like he wants individual Christians to be in a family called the church. And for me, that's what New Ground is all about. New Ground, our wider part of you know, the family. New Frontiers is our overall, if you like, uh, widest part of our family. Several thousand churches around the world. And I think that it's easy to stop appreciating some of the benefits of being in a family of churches, just like it's easy to stop seeing the benefits of being part of a local family. Sometimes you see the flaws, the gaps. You see how it should be, and maybe it's not how you really want it. But I just believe that it's good and healthy for local churches to be in a wider family, just as it is for individual Christians it's good for us to be part of a church family. And that's why New Ground for me, it's not an organization, it's not a network, it's not a denomination. It's a family of local churches. And those local churches are within themselves families of adopted children that God has put together. While I was looking at all this, I realized that this thing of family, I was trying to work out, where does it come from, God? And I realized afresh, actually, this thing of family, for me, comes straight out of the heart and the experience of God. Yeah, I was thinking, why, God, have you gone to such lengths to adopt us as children, to gather us as local church families? Why, why would you sacrifice your son on the cross? Jesus, why would you be willing to go to the cross to lay down your life for this? And I realized afresh that in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has always existed in, has always been experiencing, if you like, family. Long before he created us, they existed God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed. They were in relationship with one another. They were, as it were, family together with one another. In fact, God created humans, I think, out of that love, out of that relationship that they had for each other in order that we might be added into that love, added into that family, as it were. God didn't create us humans because he was bored or lonely didn't know what else to do 
He had everything he needed. He had everything he actually needed. In the Trinity, it was everything that he needed. And yet, as this outflow, this expression of love, he made us in order to include us into that. And I think you get a demonstration of this at Jesus' baptism, which is often taught on. But for me, what I love is this Father, Son, Spirit moment. Right at the start of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 3, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. To me, this is, a, this, is, this is a moment for people watching on, and we can learn from it, but primarily, this is a Trinity moment. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who in all eternity past, made this incredible plan of salvation for people like you and me, and at the moment Jesus begins his ministry, this is a family moment in many ways between the three of them. Because Jesus is there, God the Son, now taken on flesh, with the Spirit on him, and the Father says, this is my Son. This is my boy. Here we go with the plan of salvation. Just, just gives me a glimpse of something of how the Trinity worked. I see it again when I read Jesus' prayer in John 16, 17, 18. I'm going to read you a bit of this. Uh, this, is, this is Jesus praying to the Father for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus pouring out his heart, as it were, on behalf of you and I, these adopted sons and daughters that he's going to go and lay down his life for. God, that the family is going to grow. The family is going to get bigger. The love that we have as a trinity is going to be poured out, God. And Jesus pouring out his heart to God to that end. Just amazing. It's just incredible. It's why he was prepared to go to the cross that's what God has done. That's the extent to which God has gone to to save us. It's why he adds us into his families. why he adds us into those church families. It's why he puts these families of churches into wider families. One day, when the world that we know it will end, God is going to gather all his children from across the world and down through the ages, he's going to gather us together in heaven and say, right, this is our eternity. This is what and how it's going to be from now on until, until, until. With no tears, no crying, no sadness, no sickness. Children, 
this is how it's going to be. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful and feel such a sense of privilege that I've been saved and I'm a child of God. Such a privilege. Such a privilege that we're part of his church. Such a privilege that as local churches, we're part of his wider, worldwide, down the ages church. And all that doesn't come from a man-made textbook as to how to do life or religion. It all comes out of the heart and the love that God has, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.